Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Have you ever had an experience in your life that was so magnificent, so marvelous, so beautiful, so indescribable that you tried to tell somebody. You tried to explain it. You tried to tell them, hey, let me show you or let me tell you what I saw. But as you, as you started to explain it, you realized that the words just weren't enough because it wasn't just what you saw. It's, it's how you felt, and it's, it, it, was, it embodied all that you were. It was, it was one of those holy moments. In Revelation chapter 5, we have a glimpse of just something like that. But it far supersedes anything that you or I could ever experience. Because it was a one-time deal given to one person, the Apostle John. If you remember John, we call him John the Revelator. He was uh, banished to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, he saw visions of what God was doing and what he was going to do. And in chapter 5 of Revelation, he was given a vision of of the the beginning of the end, of this this moment where God was going to bring all things together and where everything would finally make sense in this earth. So Revelation chapter 5, let's start there. Verse 1, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. This moment where John saw he who sat on the throne. This is God. He saw God on his throne, and he records that in his right hand, that's the hand of power and strength, was a scroll. And that scroll had writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. To the original hearers of this, they would have fully understood what that scroll was. You see, a scroll was what they used to write down and record things that were important and things that needed to be passed on. And then when you sealed a scroll, it meant that only certain people had the right to open that scroll. Things like land documents, things like, like, like uh, 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 selling property and selling items and possessions, those would have been written in a scroll and sealed. But seven seals is a very unique scroll. In those days, it would have been similar to what we would call a last will and testament. It would have been the entirety of the possessions or the entirety of the state written down with clear declarations of what was to happen to the estate, and it was in that scroll marked with seven seals. And the only one able to open such a scroll would be the one to whom the scroll belonged. 
And so with this backdrop, an angel, the Bible says a mighty angel, proclaimed with a loud voice in such a way so that it would boom throughout the halls of heaven. And even if we could hear it here with those kind of ears, we would hear it in all corners of the earth. Is anyone worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals? And the scripture records that as he, as he looked, verse 3, no one in heaven no one on earth and no one under the earth was able or was worthy to open the scroll or even look at it. So in other words, when the voice went out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to break the seal? Who has ownership of the contents of this scroll? Everywhere was silent. In heaven, Everyone was silent. On earth, everyone was silent. Under the earth. That means that not a soul or a being or a creature in all of the entire universe was found worthy. Now, if you consider this, it's a pretty amazing thought. Because we've had some great men and women throughout history that have existed. We've had men of power. We've had, have, had, have, had people of character. We've had people of, of strength. We've had people do amazing, marvelous things, discoveries and, and, and changing the, 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 the course of, of history. And yet none of them was worthy. In the very next verse, the Bible says that John began to weep. He wept and he wept. That would have been a bone-crushing sob. It's the same kind of weeping that is recorded in the Scripture when the Bible says that Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. It's that, that gut-level, heart-wrenching, that, that weeping that causes your entire body to convulse and shake because you were so distraught at what you were seeing or experiencing. Now, why would John be so upset? Because in this scroll was the mystery of God revealed in its entirety. In this scroll was the end. It was the finish line. It was the grand finale. And it was only the one worthy who could open it. And his thought was, we'll never know. And more than that, God promised that all of his mysteries would be made known. And so this deep sorrow inside of John caused him to weep and sob. And then, almost, if it, were, if it would have been a humorous situation, the Bible says that the angel, or excuse me, that one of the elders uh, said to John, suck it up, buttercup. Stop your crying, or I'll give you something to cry about. Okay, that's not really what he said. He said, do not weep. Why are you weeping? He gives an answer as to why he should not weep. He said, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able, he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, there were three reasons why Jesus was worthy, as declared here. Number one, he was the lion of Judah. Number two, he was the root of David. And number three, he conquered that which had to be conquered. 
Now, why are these three important? Well, it's because it, it explained who Jesus was, what he did, and his strength of character and person. He was the Lion of Judah. Now, this comes from Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is blessing all of, this, all of his children, and all, which became tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And when he got to Judah, he said to Judah, your people, your descendants will be in rule, you, they will rule forever. There will always be someone from your tribe on a throne. And so the Jews from that point on understood that the king was going to be coming from the line of Judah. Now they were expecting a lion. What is a lion? A lion is this king of the jungle. When a lion walks through, he strikes fear into everyone that sees him. There is an automatic respect because everybody knows that lions are truly the apex predator. When a lion roars, his purpose is to make sure that every single square inch of his pride understands that he rules and reigns sovereignly and completely, and you better not challenge him. And so the lion of Judah is this unflinching, masterfully uh, 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 presented king that is dominant in every single possible way. He's the one who comes wielding the sword and who tramples anyone and anything in his way. This is why the Jews could not accept Jesus. Because they expected the Messiah to be one who came in and declared that his rule was now forever and everybody would instantly subject themselves to him. They expected a conquering king and instead what they found was one who was gentle and humble and kind. But here's why. The Jews were expecting an earthly kingdom. God was establishing an eternal kingdom. And God's people said, Amen. I'll preach better if you'll speak a little more. Let me tell you what, he was, the, the Jews were expecting that what was here and now was going to get perfect, and God never intended that. He intended something that was far superior, an eternal kingdom, where there was nothing that challenged his rule and his reign. There is no sin, there is no sickness, there is no darkness, there is no death, there is none of all of those other things. If you just think about the number of kingdoms that have arisen on the earth, going all the way back to the Babylonians and the Romans, and you've got the Greeks, and you've got, you've got all these kingdoms. Guess what? Every single kingdom on earth will eventually fall. Why? Because no kingdom endures forever except God's kingdom. Every kingdom. Listen, we don't want to hear this because of our, 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 the, the way that we're, we're, we're born and raised, but even our own country eventually is going to fall. Why? Because no kingdom of earth remains forever. It just doesn't happen. I'm hoping it doesn't happen in my lifetime. I hope it doesn't happen for a lot of lifetimes. But mark my words, one day every kingdom on earth will fall. Because there's always somebody looking for power. There's always somebody looking to overthrow. It's the way men, the hearts of men, work. But as, as he explains this, <clears throat> he says he's the Lion of Judah, which means he, that, that's who he is. That's, that, that's his strength. And then he says he's the Root of David. That is that he has the rightful place 
So his strength and his power, his rightful place in the line of David, and then he's a conquering king. He's the overcomer. He's the one who indeed with all of that power has put that power to use, and he's overcome the very things that condemn us as humankind. Sin, death, hell, and the grave, and everything that comes with it. I want you to think of all of the things. If you got rid of, if you got rid of sin, think of all of the other things that would be gone with it as well. If there were no sin, there would be no death. If there were sin, there, if there were no sin, there would be no division. If there were no sin, there would be no chaos. If there were no sin, there would be no ugly. If there were no sin, there would be no brokenness. If there were no sin, there would be no disease. If there were no sin, all things would be completely and entirely perfect. And in this scroll, what you have is God making all things new. Essentially, He is recreating what He started in Eden. There's a new heaven and a new earth that is coming And the how to get there is found in the scroll. Is anyone worthy? The elder said, there's one worthy. He's the Lion of Judah. He's of the root of David. And he's the conqueror, the overcomer. And then John looked over. And the scripture says in verse 6, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He looked over and he saw what was like a slaughtered lamb, not the picture you would expect of one who was worthy. Why a slaughtered lamb? Because the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God. In fact, in the New Testament, only a handful of times is Jesus called a lamb. One of those is when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But 30 times in Revelation is Jesus recorded as or referred to as the lamb. Why? Because you go all the way back to the Old Testament and part of God's sacrificial system was that one time a year there would be a lamb that would be slaughtered. The lamb had to be perfect in every way and the lamb was slaughtered and the blood of that lamb was to be put on the doorpost on the top and the bottom, and on the side to the side. And when the angel of death swept through Egypt and he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, top and bottom, side to side, the angel would pass over and they would be spared. In other words, the blood of the lamb saved them. Now, it wasn't the blood of the earthly lamb that saved them because an earthly lamb could never atone for sin. But what God was doing was foreshadowing what was to come in that God would provide a perfect sacrifice to once and for all totally cancel, totally settle the debt of your sin and my sin. Indeed, the sin of the whole entire world. And so the Bible says that this lamb or, or that the, the, he, he saw one look, look like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. Another interesting thing about this lamb, the word lamb here is a word that is used a few different times to, to refer to the Passover lamb. And what it was to be was a pet. 
It was a very tender, very personal word. So what the Israelites would have to do during Passover is they would choose a spotless, perfect lamb without blemish, and they would bring it into their home, and they would love and care for this lamb for four days, and then they would slaughter him. You say, well, why? That's so gruesome. That's so horrible. It was to make sure that the people understood that they loved this lamb, and yet the lamb had to die so that they could find relationship and forgiveness with God. Why? Because sin is so grievous against God that only blood could atone for the sin And while the blood of goats and bulls and lambs could not atone for our sin, it was only an element of faith saying God will provide at some point in the future a final sacrifice. It's what we heard when Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah. Do you remember this story? I believe it's uh, Genesis chapter 18 or somewhere around there. Abraham is, is told by God, offer your son, your only son, whom you love. And of course, Abraham, being obedient to the father, asked his, told his son, we're going to go on to the mountain and offer a sacrifice. The Bible says that on Isaac, his son, uh, Abraham put wood for the fire. And he marched up the hill with the son carrying the wood. Do you see the picture beginning to develop here? And as they were almost to the part of sa- place of sacrifice, the son asked the father, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And the answer was, The Lord will provide. God the Father will provide a sacrifice. And this crimson thread goes all throughout Scripture. That Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy. He looked and he saw slaughtered lamb standing, standing. A slaughtered lamb doesn't stand. A slaughtered lamb is helpless and dead. Why is a slaughtered lamb standing? Because he overcame. Because he rose from the dead. Because he was slaughtered by his own will, by his own volition, so that he could pay the penalty for death and sin and then conquer death and sin forever and ever and ever, never to have to face that again. And he stood there as the slaughtered lamb, and he reached out and grabbed the scroll from his father. What a picture. The father is on the throne. This is God, the creator of the universe. And Jesus the Son steps forth as the slaughtered lamb. He reaches out, and I just wonder if on his hands there were marks from where the the, the spikes pierced the bones in his wrist. And I just wonder if when he reached out for for the scroll, if he and his father made eye contact. And I wonder that even though no words had to have been spoken, if the father was saying to his son, well done, my son. In you I am perfectly pleased. And I wonder when he grabbed the scroll, if everyone in that place just gasped with a holy gasp and then did this one thing next. The Bible says next that they dropped to their knees. Verse 8, they dropped to their knees and they sang a new song. But before we get there, I got all excited. Let's go back. Before we get there, the Bible describes 
that he, Jesus, had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Seven horns. A horn in Revelations, uh, the book of Revelation, is a symbol of power. It's a symbol of strength. Seven is the number of perfection. You say, well, what are you talking about symbols and numbers? Revelation is full of symbols and it's full of, 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 of pictures that, that we have to understand in order to, for it to make, make sense. And so a horn is power and strength. Seven is perfection. It's perfect. And so what you see in this slaughtered lamb is a perfectly all-powerful man. And then it says he has seven eyes, and those seven eyes are the seven spirits of God. So in other words, the eyes see. Seven is perfection. He perfectly sees from beginning to the end all things. The Bible tells us there's nothing hidden from our God. You've never thought a thought. You've never uttered a word. You've never had an intention of the heart that God has not known from the foundations of the earth that that would be inside of you. In fact, the Bible tells us our heart is deceitful above else, but it's not deceitful to God. We cannot hide anything from our God. Oh, is he worthy. And so, this seven spirits of God is the fullness of God's spirit that is dwelling in this place. And he understands, and the spirits were sent into all of the earth, meaning there's no place on earth that is hidden from him. And when he took the scroll... Out of the right hand of, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. This is what I think we would have heard multiplied by 24 elders plus. And I just happen to believe that when that happened, it shook the halls of heaven and it echoed. And so, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it's built, but you just have to understand that everybody would have known something was going on in that moment. They fell to their knees. And the Bible says that each one of them had a harp and a golden bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What John saw here is the fulfillment of every saint that had ever gone before. Every saint's prophecy and prayer being fulfilled in that very moment. Because what are the, what's the ultimate prayers, uh, the ultimate prayer of the saints? Jesus said, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, he said what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God was making all things right and perfect and new. And the longings of the believers, the saints of God, since the beginning of time, were all coming to fruition in this moment. If there would have been a sound of glory, this would have been it. And the Bible says they sang a new song. Why a new song? Because the old song that they were singing was appropriate, but this one was more appropriate in the moment. The old song was this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's in chapter 4. Who was and is and is to come. This is singing to the Father. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they sang a new song. And the new song that they sang, You are worthy to take the scroll. 
and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased or you ransomed for God people by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. There was a new song and that new song was you are worthy, much like we just sang I got to tell you, for the last two weeks, this song has been echoing inside of my heart. Literally, when I wake up in the morning, I've been singing this song. When I eat my dinner, I've been singing the song. When I'm taking the shower, I'm singing the song. When I'm going to bed, I'm singing the song. And it's over and over and over. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. And the thing is, normally if I sing a song like that, it drives me nuts because it just won't leave. But this song is different. This song is different because it explains and it describes the true nature of the God that we serve through Jesus Christ, His Son. He is worthy. Why is He worthy? He's worthy here because you were slaughtered and you purchased people. You ransomed people for God. This picture is beautiful. To ransom people literally means he went to the marketplace where slaves were being sold. And he bought the slaves with his own blood so that he could set them free. That's what that means. Bible tells us in 1 Peter, it says, It's not with, uh, with silver and gold that you were redeemed from an empty way of life. But you were bought with the, with the, the uh, lamb without spot or blemish, with the blood of Christ. You were purchased, you were redeemed, you were bought back, and then you were set free. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel is. It's this whole transaction of God paying your debt so that you could be redeemed and purchased and set free to live because Jesus said that he has come that you might have life and have it most abundantly. That's exactly the gospel. But here's the better part of this. Not just the fact that you and I were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, but he purchased by his blood men from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I like to say it this way. If you have something against somebody of another color or another culture or another race or another, another difference, you better get over that before you die because that's what your eternity is going to be like. When you are standing before the Father, you're going to look to your right and you're going to see a Mexican. You're going to look to your left and you're going to see a Chinaman. And you're going to look behind you. You're going to see an African American. You're going to look in front of you and you're going to see a Somalian. And the thing that binds us all together is the blood of the Lamb because Jesus Christ has purchased for himself men and women from every nation, tongue, tribe. In other words, the, all the corners of the earth, there's not a place where the gospel has not and will not go forth. He has purchased. He has bought. He has redeemed for himself. The great Moravian call May the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. I don't know if you recall the story, but two Moravian missionaries got on a boat. They left their families. They kissed them goodbye. 
And as the boat was far, getting farther from the dock, they knew and their family knew that they would never see each other again on this side of eternity. They knew this because what these two Moravian men did was they sold themselves to a slave trader because they heard that there was an island of slaves that was, they were not allowed to have the gospel and so they gave their life as a slave so they could go be enslaved, so that they could set the slaves free through the power of the gospel, if not on this earth, in the life to come. And as those two men were standing on the side of the ship, and as their families were waving goodbye to them with tears and sobs, they heard the men say that the Lamb of God who was slain, is wor- may the Lamb of God be- receive the reward of his suffering. In other words, our life is being given now because Jesus is worthy. I just wonder, have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said to God, God, you are worthy of my life? I I don't deserve anything you've given me. I don't deserve anything that I have. I live in a cool, calm, comfortable life for the most part. And God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset about that, but I just want you to know that my life is yours. My yes is on the table. You have me wherever and however and whenever with no conditions, no regrets, no reserves. I belong to you. And if you choose to rip me apart for the sake of the gospel, that is in your right to do so. And I submit myself to you. If you choose to bless me wildly for the sake of the gospel, I choose to, to allow you to do that because you are worthy. That's the ultimate goal of this, is for you and for me to recognize that God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, is worthy of your absolute devotion and honor and worship and life, everything. In fact, that's what their song even says, but we'll get to that. Verse 10 says, you made them a kingdom of priests to our God. God made you a kingdom of a kingdom. And he made you a priest. A priest is one who can stand before God without any shame, without any any reservation. A A priest is one who stands before God for the people. That is who you are. Everywhere you go, you are a representation of our worthy Savior. Everywhere you go, you carry his name. You carry the blood of the Lamb in you because you've been bought with his blood. And the scripture further says, then I looked, verse 11, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. I like this part too. I can't help it. He says, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders and their number, ready? Their number was countless Thousands plus thousands of thousands. A sea of people as far as the eye could see. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So many you couldn't even count. And they all spoke with a loud voice. And I have to think that they didn't just speak it. They sang it. Because there's nothing like singing words like this. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. To receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. In other words, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all things. 
What is it in your life that you have withheld from this worthy Savior? What is it that you've held back just in case it doesn't work out? Just, just because you want to make sure that you keep whatever that is safe. You know, we hold a lot of things, don't we? We hold difficult relationships captive. God says forgive, and we say, no, I'm not going to forgive, because if I forgive, they're getting away with something. And what we really have to realize is that forgiveness is as much about us as it is about them. Because when we hold unforgiveness in our heart towards someone else, we are allowing that to hold us captive. It's like a chain around our neck and we're thrown into the ocean. It's killing us. And when we forgive, we break the chain and we find freedom. And don't worry if the other person literally actually did sin a grievous act. God is not blind to unjust, uh, injustice. The Bible says that God is slow to anger. He is rich in mercy. He is abounding with love. But He never lets the guilty go unpunished. And if someone has offended you, God will deal with it far more rightly than you and I ever could. Because holding a grudge actually isn't dealing with it anyways, is it? And that's family, that's friends, that's neighbors, that's yourself. What is it that you have not yield to the worthy Savior? Maybe it's your plans. We all like to make plans, don't we? Man, I'm the king of plans. Man, I make plans of my plans. I make plans to make plans to make plans, right? But every plan I've had to learn that I make has to be in pencil, and God has got a giant eraser. And sometimes he doesn't erase it. Sometimes he just grabs the paper, wads it up, and throws it into the fire. But see, when you say yes to God, it doesn't matter what he does with your plans because he knows the plans that he has for you. That's a good place. Amen? He knows the plans that he has for you. I know that was a promise to the Israelites, but that's the character of God, and I believe it's a promise to us as well. And so, so we, we yield our plans to Him, whatever they might be. What about our professions? You do what you do for a reason, but maybe God has a different purpose for you. Maybe you're staying where you are because it's comfortable, and God has said, I'm calling you to do something else which requires faith, but don't worry about it, because when I'm on your team, you don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to work out. Amen? God always makes a way where there seems to be no way. In fact, He loves the idea of bringing you to a brick wall so that you go, hmm, we're in a pickle. That's a biblical word, by the way. We're in, a, we're in a place where I'm not sure that this can be done. And God says, did somebody say impossible? What's impossible with you is a piece of cake with me. He's worthy. What about the things you love? Do you love things that should be loved, or do you love things that are not worthy of your love? As a general rule, we should never love anything that cannot love us back. But as a more general rule, we cannot love anyone more than we love Jesus who is worthy.
That means we cannot love our children more than we love the Father. Boy, has anybody learned that? If you're a parent, right? Because guess what? You can't love your kids more than God loves your kids. You can't protect your kids like God can protect your kids. The, things that our ki- the thing our kids need to see the most is a passionate heart that is completely surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ because when they see that, they have a model of their life to live because it's infectious. And you are proving the faithfulness of God to the generations behind when you do that. What about a spouse? When you love your spouse more than you love your God, you've gotten good things out of order and it causes conflict. I love my wife. She's the best woman that's ever happened to me. She's probably the only woman that's ever happened to me and ever will. But I don't love her more than I love Jesus. She doesn't want me to because that's not good. Because she will fail me and I will fail her. Our God never fails. Just to speak a little bit to that, you know, in, in our young adult group, we talk a lot about finding a spouse. And and it's, it's painful and it's confusing. And listen, I get it. We, we've all been there at some point. But when you get the cart before the horse, the cart starts to flip and it hurts the horse. But when you get things in the right order, God makes the way more perfectly than we ever could possibly imagine. And so all of those things, he is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, listen to this, every creature. Now in the Greek, that means every creature. That means all, in total, right? And if I knew other languages, I would say that too. Uh, Every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, and every creature under the earth, every creature on the sea, and everything in them say. Doesn't the Scripture say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord? The Bible says that. This is the fulfillment of that promise. Every living creature on the planet and in the universe says blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever. And the four living creatures, bless their heart, the only thing that they could say is, Amen. 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 Because amen means let it be, so be it. Bring it, send it. That's what it means. That's all they could say. Amen. Amen and amen. He is worthy. May we commit to never stealing the worth that belongs to God. And may we, never, we commit to never giving anyone or anything the worth that belongs solely to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
You know, today is uh, Independence Day. We're celebrating a great country. It's a good thing. But in that celebration, we need to recognize that we are a faulty people because we're led by humans and humans have this issue with sin. While we recognize that, we live in, with our foot in both worlds. We both live on this earth and we should, we should live rightly here, but we also live with our foot in another world and that is the kingdom of God, knowing that this world is not our home. So today as you celebrate this marvelous day, remember that what we're seeing now will be passing and ending at some point, but where we're headed is eternal and it will never, ever end. And by the way, in case you didn't catch that, God's kingdom is going to be reestablished on earth. So there's a new heaven and a new earth. All Heaven does not mean we're floating in space somewhere. Our eternity eventually at the end of time is going to be right here. It's only going to be perfect. You have to get into the scripture to look at that, but that's what the Bible says. So the question for you today is this. Do you know the Lamb? It's by grace you're saved through faith, not of works. You can't earn God's favor. I talked with a gentleman last week. He's convinced that if he keeps enough of the Ten Commandments, God will look at what he's done and he will say, well, I think you've been more good than you have been bad. I said, sir, that's just not the way it works. The Bible says if you offend the law at one point, you've offended the law at every point. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Grace is unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. Faith is trusting in what God has done and in what God has said. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your works. No matter how hard you try to earn it, you will never be right enough to enter into God's presence. But because of the blood of the Lamb, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever, white, black, purple, green, man, woman, boy, girl, whatever, God sent His only Son that whoever will believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Ransomed, purchased, and set free. Life like we've never experienced before. That's the promise of the gospel. So if you're here today and you never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? If you're listening by, by, uh, on the internet or if you're watching by way of TV, I want to invite you as well. You're not watching this by accident. You're watching this because God put you in this time and place because he's calling your name and he wants you to know him. He's purchased you. He wants you to receive that grace. Take just a moment and ask God, is he worthy in your life? Is he worthy? Ask God to show you what areas of your life you've not yielded to him. And then do so. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.